Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. This episode of According to Flint is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, who is proud to bring the Western lifestyle and outdoor enthusiasts together for conservation projects, enhancing elk habitat, and ensuring the future of America's hunting heritage. Visit rmef.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this episode of According to Flint. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of According to Flint, episode number 46, actually, which hard to believe with every other week. That means we've been doing this, what's 46, 92 weeks, sort of, 40, episode 46. This is um, what I like to call my PBR World Finals wrap-up analysis show and then touching on... The new PBR Teams format, which starts the end of July, rolling through the end of the summer, 10 events into the fall with uh, the big finale in Las Vegas. around At T-Mobile Arena, at around the time that World Finals was originally... And so we are a little bit, as far as major PBR-produced events, on a little bit of a summer break. However... Uh, Some of us, actually most of us, have some sort of summer schedule. And a lot of people um, come to me and say, wow, you must get a whole bunch of time off. You know, I will kind of confess here, if I chose to have a, a lot of time off, I could. But really then, first of all, the structure of what I do for the PBR, I'm, I'm an employee of the company and, and my contract, uh, my employment agreement, if you will, is I do all of the Unleash the Beast tour events. And I know even some of you watching this podcast sometimes don't understand, which I don't mean that in a condescending way, but it, sometimes the structure of the PBR is hard, hard to understand. The Unleash the Beast Tour is the one you see on CBS Sports Network every week. Uh, The one with the top 35 bull riders in the world that leads to the PBR World Finals. The level of tour below that, and I know some people even within our organization don't like you to say below, but the fact is the next level of, uh, of bull riders is the Velocity Tour. The, actually the Pendleton Whiskey Velocity Tour And that consists of that next, you know, the next, say, 35 through 70 riders produced by the PBR. It has its own production crew, lighting crew, sound crew, um, and goes to maybe smaller markets than what what we call the UTB goes to. And then there are other PBR-sanctioned events that are more locally produced that happen around the country all season long, all year long. And I do choose to work some of those events. Reason being, for one, frankly, it's extra. It, it's sort of like, I, I, I just fin- I'm a school teacher. I just finished my school year. World finals was finals week. And now I'm off for the summer. And like a lot of teachers, I have a summer job and mine is pouring concrete. Think of a good friend of mine, Steve Steve French, Chota, Montana. He's pour concrete in the summer. But my pouring concrete is doing my job at smaller touring pro events. And frankly, and and a friend of mine that's going to join me later, Brandon Bates, with some analysis of PBR finals and talk about the draft. Uh, he and I talk about have talked about it. Clint Atkins has talked about it. Those are the events that take us back to why we got in this business in the first place, why it was so fun. Those events where you're not controlled by the time budgeting of TV. You don't have to go to, you don't have to end a break when TV says to end because um, when we're at a commercial break and I'm entertaining the crowd, when we're back, we're back. So I better be doing something that I can 
end. You know, a lot of in, in the rodeo clown days, my rodeo clown days and a lot of rodeo clowns now, they get a break and they can tell a joke or do a, an act that kind of goes as long as they want it to and end with a punchline. Uh, when uh, controlled by TV, when TV's back, they're back and I have to end. And, and so... Uh, coming up here in the near future, I'll be at, um, a Friday night in Kalispell, Montana, a Saturday in Great Falls, Montana, and then the next weekend to Deadwood, South Dakota, then a couple in in, in North Dakota later in June, um, you know, so, and then July, Livingston, Montana, the big event there in Big Sky, Montana. Those are touring pro events. So as the summer proceeds that is what many of us including riders will be doing the big question in the pbr and for the people who independently produce those smaller touring pro events is which riders who have been drafted all those you know high-ranked riders that have been drafted into the team's competition will they be allowed or able to go to those smaller touring pro events in the summer i don't know Maybe I'll ask the GM of the Oklahoma team. Hmm, make myself a note. Summer events. Look, uh, you know what I'm like? You ever watch the show um, uh, Real Sports with Bryant Gumble on HBO and they come from a segment every single time? He's got his glasses like this and he's writing something on a clipboard before he talks to the person who did the segment. Nobody knows what the hell Bryant's writing on the piece of paper. That's me, Bryant Gumbel. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, World Finals, the hardest thing, by the way, this episode, this podcast, coming off two weeks in Fort Worth, Texas, um, and completely immersed and engulfed by PBR World Finals and what's happening there, to then get home and know we have that obligation to do a podcast. It's really hard for me to just switch gears and go, hey, let me get this rodeo guy. It would be interesting to do a podcast and just interview someone. Couldn't really make that transition. We're still kind of coming off of that. So I thought good chance to talk world finals and some of the thoughts we have. Topic number one that we have addressed since way early last fall. Uh, I think, I don't remember when the announcement was made that PBR World Finals, a bold move, by the way, to completely change not just the time of year, but the city as well. It was amazing to me as we were doing PBR World Finals to look at social media and see the number of people that didn't realize it was happening. But in our world of social media, and online stuff, there aren't as many things out there in newspapers. And if you aren't active on social media and in online, our website, then maybe it got by you. However, the comments were usually on PBR's social media and my social media, which that's kind of all we cover. So welcome back. Uh, but as in a, in a previous podcast with Brandon Bates, actually, we, we discussed how PBR tried to do this 15 years ago. And reason being, I don't think people quite understand the respect everybody in the Western sports industry has for the National Finals Rodeo. It's been in Las Vegas since, what, 1985, 86, right in there. And it completely takes over the city. Everywhere you go in Las Vegas during the Wrangler NFR, it's cowboys, it's country music singers. The whole city transforms to, as they say before the rodeo, a cowboy town. Uh, PBR has complete respect for that. And here, here the PBR was a month away from the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. Honestly, I would land in the airport or get to the city in Las Vegas and people go, rodeo in town? I thought that was always in December. And so that happened more than I can say. Even in Montana, I'd be in the Billings Airport. Where are you going? Well, it's a pro professional bull riders world finals. Isn't that usually in December? So PBR has a respect for that and has for quite some time wanted to get off of being so close to the Wrangler NFR. Um, it, it's, we do have crossover in fan base. So yeah, you have PBR fans, 
that are a certain demographic and rodeo fans that are a certain demographic. But in the middle, there's a lot of fans that are fans of both because frankly, we all wear cowboy hats. We're all in the same business. There's just those stupid letters in front of everything that a lot of people don't understand. So if you want to go to both, you're a month apart and trying to budget and find time to go to the PBR World Finals and the NFR. So this separates the two by six months and a different city. So it creates a different experience. It also allows PBR, uh, I think, to create an experience in a city that is naturally the, uh, the Western way of life and the cowboy way of life. And also, Fort Worth, Texas, uh, has done a great job transforming the stockyards, which it really was, it, it's always been a neat place, but it has completely transformed into its own little cultural center. Uh, I went there every time I'm there, I went there during the PBR finals and it grows every time I'm there. It is the place to be and their tourism is up um, tremendously. So I think PBR wanted to get in on that and we all knew there'd be a transition. I think there was an attitude of, oh yeah, PBR thought they were going to pop into Fort Worth and sell out every performance and everything would work seamlessly. And we all knew there'd be a big transition. All it can do is get better, but Dickey's Arena, uh, one of the nicest state-of-the-art, not the hugest arena, but the nicest state-of-the-art buildings that you could ever be in. Most people were surprised how beautiful Dickey's Arena actually is and how functional it is. It was built for, they've had concerts, matter of fact, Paul McCartney concert in the middle of the week. Uh, they've had basketball tournaments. They do all kinds of things there, but really it was built on the, uh, grounds where the Fort Worth Stock Show is. So very much built to accommodate rodeo Western sports, which makes it easier for our crew and easier for us. So people asked all week long, every single day at the PBR finals for the 12 days I was there asked, how, do you, how would you compare this to Vegas? Can anything be compared to Vegas? Vegas is the most unique city that I've ever been in. And I've been in lots of them. Vegas is Vegas. Vegas is a second home to me. I'm very comfortable in Vegas. I get energized in Vegas. When you set foot in that city, there's a buzz that hits you that you know you're part of something fun and great and big, bigger than life, over the top. So, so... To compare directly one thing to the next, that isn't fair because we knew we weren't in Vegas. We're not in Vegas. So why compare? It, my analogy I've used several times is, how would you compare this new girlfriend to the old girlfriend? <laughs> I'm not right now because I don't have one, but it, it's... Uh, is that too much on a podcast that I don't have? But why would you compare when that one's, you're not there anymore. Now you're part of the new experience. And that's how I felt about Fort Worth. And frankly, yes, when it moved to Fort Worth, in my head, I couldn't say it really publicly, but I was, I love going to Vegas. And I was disappointed we weren't in Vegas. And I was sincerely, pleasantly surprised how, easy Fort Worth was, how excited, uh, how the excitement was and how everything went. I had fun in Fort Worth. So uh, people always want me, they want some insight. Like I'm going to give some little, hey, we all hate it. <laughs> that just isn't happening. So uh, it was overall it was a good experience in Fort Worth. Um, you know, the other thing was, I think fans would come to us and say, yeah, but look at all the things we had to do in Vegas. Vegas was, we had so much to do. As the fans, I could see that as being part of the world finals. Most of us didn't really do Vegas because of our schedules of what we had during the day into the night, late nights, getting up in the morning and do it again. So that didn't affect us as, as much as it would the fans. So when you ask our opinion, we will have a different opinion than the fans. But from us to the fans watching, uh, 
Fort Worth is is fun and it's cool. And there was a lot of people sat at home behind with their phones and behind keyboards that really criticized PBR and how they ruined it. And there were empty seats. We've always had empty seats early in the week at PBR. They're just not bright gray, almost white, and you can't see them all. Uh, but we we always have. And to sit at home and criticize uh, criticism's fine, but the harshness of some criticism, uh, come come enjoy it with us because it was fun. Um, surprises at the PBR World Finals. Flint's take on the World Finals. First of all, it seems to me through the years, and it seemed to me this year as far as riders go, it seems to me the guys in the middle, so we we buck 40 guys every night, all right? However it works, the top 35 in the rankings, there's injury guys out, so guys move up. There's the velocity tour qualifications and international invite. Anyway, we buck 40 bulls every night, not counting re-rides. Um, it seems to me there's a middle group of guys that really struggle, you get those great rides as the evening starts. We basically start at the bottom ranking guys and end with the top ranking guys. There seems to be guys in the middle that struggle. And I think my philosophy, some of those guys that got in on the bottom, maybe battled injury all year. So they rallied at the end. They actually are really good bull riders rallied at the end to get in. Cody Jesus. There you go. And he's kind of a middle guy, but he did rally at the end. Um, Brady Olson, who had been battling injury. Uh, then the top guys, uh, you know, they tend to ride better, of course, because that's why they're ranked higher. But some of them, it's, it's, they have disappointing weeks. When things, they don't draw right, they're battling an injury. You know, a Derek Kobaba, not a great week. A Cody Teal, his week got better, but not great, like he'd want to. Anyway, there's those. But those middle guys that plug away the entire season, ride bulls here and there, they make championship rounds here and there. So they're 20th, 25th in the world rankings, and they get to the world finals. And I don't know if you know this, but at the world finals in bull power, there's not a day off. You don't get to be 83 points very often. You don't get to be 85 points very often. And it just seems like there's a group of guys that as the week goes, pretty soon in the back of our head, we're going, I don't think he's going to ride a damn bull this week. And there are a lot of guys that don't ride bulls. And magically, magically, for the 9 a.m. PBR performance on Championship Sunday, why 9 a.m.? Do I like it? Not really. The PBR uh, snatches up a live CBS window of TV, TV, which is more valuable to the organization than anything to be on network television. Magically, five or six guys are a little more hurt at that performance. They're 0 for, 7, so, 0 for 6 so far. And in day seven, they say, you know what? I'm hurt today. <laughs> And I'm just going to sit this one out. Let me clarify something. For those of us as part of a show on a Sunday morning, we don't mind it. Let's get to the good guys and let's get to the championship round and see them ride and crown a world champion. That's how I feel. Can't help it. That's how I feel. Um, what One point I wanted to make. There are, you know, not all of our comments or comments I get social media wise are positive. And some of them I get, even people take time to send me direct messages. By the way, I can't imagine taking time out of my day to sit down with a phone or a computer and send a direct message to someone I've never met to tell them they suck. Can you imagine that? I don't, listen, does it ruin my day? Sometimes, if it comes at 12.30 at night after a long day, doesn't ruin my day, but I'm going to respond. I'm going to respond. I can't imagine taking the time to do that. Like, I'm all about constructive criticism or, 
you know, maybe you should do this. I'm all about that. But just to take the time to be an ass, man, what an existence that is. So I guess I should respect that sort of effort and time. So thank you. But my job is a little different at World Finals. It is, um, just so you know, when you go watch for World Finals, it feels like probably watching as a spectator. I don't do as much. I'm not as active and engaged with the crowd as maybe regular season events. Reason being, it's the World Finals. Every rider there, no matter how good or bad a week they're having, usually as bad a week as they're having, every rider deserves their story to be told every single night of the World Finals. Uh, there are standings to talk about. There are average aggregate standings, um, the rookie of the year standings, bull title races. Our announcers, Clint and Matt and Scott, this past week, they have a lot to talk about. So as far as me entertaining during the show, constantly during the show, it doesn't happen as much at world finals. And that's just the the reality that those guys, it is a bull riding show. It is about bull riding. So they deserve the stories, their story to be told. And then commercial breaks, I fill in when I can, and we're live TV. A lot of things go on. So far as my job goes, it's a different kind of week. It's, uh, uh, it, it maybe is a little more work mentally in navigating somebody talking in my ear all the time, knowing what's going on here and what's going on there. I always say there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot going on out there. And I mean that in a, in a positive way. It's an exciting thing to be part of, but was I rooting for Dalen Swearingen? I root for everybody going in and say this. Dalen Swearingen is going to be a great champion. We're we're in we're in a business we're in the public relations marketing business we're in business in the PBR and we have we have to sell certain things. Dalen Swearingen's a good person to sell. I asked my daughters in their twenties; they think he's a great guy to sell. They if 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 people like that pay attention, everybody's going to pay attention. Kid from New York? Are you kidding me? So, yes, uh, I, I root for Dalen Swearingen, but as of Saturday night, up to the moment, Jose Vitor Lemmy bucked off his bull on Saturday night. I believed in my heart that Jose would win his third world title in a row. That was my prediction. He gets bucked off, gets injured that nobody wants to see, and I cheer for that guy, too. You talk about a great champion. So, I hope he comes back healthy. Um and he'll make a run at it next year as well. But I, up until that moment, was predicting that Jose would be the world champion. But Dalen Swearingen, you know what he did? He stayed steady. He rode the bulls he should. He rode the ones that were hard to ride better than anyone else could. And he stayed, pretty much stayed healthy. Um uh, Joao Ricardo Vieta, we cheer for him. He's the 37-year-old that uh, we all want to someday win a world title. Even if he doesn't, he'll go down as an all-time great. Kaiki Pacheco, he was right in there, bucked off uh, one or two too many bulls, but he was in the hunt until championship round when he bucked off that last bull. So it was an exciting race. And make no mistake, the fact that the season was only four and a half months long instead of a year long, almost still uh, as many cities as it takes to be a complete great season. And, uh, and it was as exciting a race as I've been a part of because everybody, not everybody, so many guys had a chance um, to win the world title going in to that last championship Sunday at nine o'clock in the morning. You know, I want to talk a little more about who did what some of the trends I saw at world finals. Also now end of this summer, starting the end of July, we go into the new innovative PBR teams competition. I've been quiet about it because I don't know all that much, but now it's time to start putting our mind on it. And a guy that is a part of that, a guy that's been a guest on this podcast before, here to give me some insight, my good friend Brandon Bates, who is the general manager of the Oklahoma Freedom uh, PBR team in the team series, former voice of the PBR, pretty sharp guy. He is going to join me with some of his thoughts 
First of all, though, as always, and thanks for their support all week at the World Finals, but our friends at Pendleton Whiskey, a quick message from them. Brandon Bates coming up. This, along with every episode of According to Flint, brought to you by Pendleton Whiskey. For more than a century, the Pendleton Roundup has defined what it means to be a cowboy. It also gave life to something equally renowned, a whiskey that captures that unique spirit in every bottle. A whiskey made with the finest northern grains and cut with Mount Hood Glacier water. A whiskey that celebrates the cowboy in all of us. That is Pendleton Whiskey, and that's true Western tradition. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. Well, welcome back to According to Flint. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Pendleton Whiskey. Getting some more thoughts on PBR World Finals, the PBR draft, the uh, team concept, all of that. And I did, like I said, coming off a week at uh, two weeks at PBR World Finals to jump into something else. I thought we got to stick to the topic at hand and not ignore. There's a lot of uh, great things and interesting happen things happening in the PBR. And I went through my mental Rolodex and this man came up. Um, welcome to the podcast. Once again, his second appearance on the podcast, former voice of the PBR and general manager of the Oklahoma Freedom. And if you want a nice house in Park City, Utah... I know where, where there's one for sale. Brandon Bates, sporting the uh, your team colors, buddy. Nice work. Nice job. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of, you know, what the PBR has been able to do. And, and I know that there's a lot of fans that are kind of, you know, up in the air about, you know, is this going to work? I don't know about the condensed season and shorting it down. And we went back a long time ago and talked, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, 10, 15, 12 years ago, ever how long it was when, you know, they've wanted to do this a long time. And I feel like it's a needed thing. Um, I feel like it's needed to be able to, you know, give the athletes a fresh start. I think the idea a long time ago was that, you know, we would give them a full offseason, right, to get surgeries and, and what have you. And, you know, now teams is going to replace that, which adds a whole other element. But I still kind of go back to the PBR's mentality here of this really is a great opportunity for the athletes. And if it works, and I believe it will, uh, this is a great opportunity for the fans as well is I almost compare it's hard to compare the rodeo world. I still call it the rodeo world, the Western sports world. It's hard to compare it to other sports. I try because I'm a, I'm a sports guy as you are. And when you try to, there's always a hang up. It's hard to compare it. But I think when it comes to changing things, I think baseball is a good comparison. You know, baseball is a purist type sport. You can't change you can't change this rule. You got to keep it the same. The Western sports world, bull riding rodeo, that might be my closest one that people don't like to accept change. No, people don't like to accept change. However, I think people need to open their mind a little bit to the fact of what this does for the Western sports athletes, specifically a bull rider. This is the first time they're ever going to really be coached. This is the first time that sports psychology is really going to be forced down their throat. This is the first time that diet, this is the first time that you've got a team structure saying, hey, don't drink too much this weekend. Hey, don't do this. Hey, stop this. Stop. You know what I mean? Like, it's the first time that those things are going to come together to, to really, you know, create an athlete environment and a, and a team-like environment. And I just think that if you really love Western sports and you really love, you know, rough stock athletes, bull riders, um, this is life changing for them. And I'm not just talking about a monetary sense. I'm talking about a personal sense. It takes me back to uh, Eli Bassbinder, my first round draft pick. And I called Eli <clears throat> the day of the draft and, and I said, I said, hey, where do you want to go? And he said, well, I really want to be on your team. And I said, well, if you want to be on Carolina's team, it's not going to hurt my feelings. Like you live there, you're close to Jerome and Tiffany. You're, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's like, I can be very happy there. And the conversation wasn't about him being on my team versus there so much, but I'll never forget what I said to him. <clears throat> I said, look, I said, 
I care about you and your family more than I care about anything else. And so that's why I want you to be where you want to be, because I, I, my program is solid. I've said all along and in every interview that I did Monday night, you know, they could leave me the bottom five guys. Give me picks 35 through 40, and I promise you we're going to be competitive. So, you know, they just that, – that wasn't the case. Um, you know, so – but my point in saying that to Eli was, like, care about your family and, and where you want to be and how do I make you better in, in that area. And so that was – that kind of goes back full circle to what I'm saying is I believe this is a life-changing structure – for the athletes because they've never had anything like this before. Don't you think, uh, this came to my mind a couple of weeks ago, all of a sudden, I don't know, mostly, uh, you know, uh, complete disclosure here. I've thought about in the last couple of weeks, cause I haven't thought much about the team's deal. Cause we needed to get through our season and crown a champion, do our jobs. But when you, when you give guys coaching, Hey, you're going to eat right. You're going to have discipline. You're going to do this, this, this. When the regular season starts next year and they're going to battle for a world title, in the long run, all of this will make our complete bull riding package and product that much better because they went, shit, why didn't I do this the whole time? <laughs> oh, there, there's no doubt. I mean, and that's when I say life-changing experience. I mean, you know... And in all the credit in the world goes to Sean Gleason. He has seen this thing through. Does he make all the decisions that I would make? No. Or does that mean that he's wrong? No. Does it mean that I'm wrong or I'm right? We'll never know. But I, you know, I, I think it goes. I think it's there's value in saying, you know, that, you know, like it's no secret, right? You know, Sean and I have disagreed on plenty, um, and but that's okay, and and that's how businesses move forward. But I am willing to give him all the credit in the world for this one because he is just like, he's had a vision. He's never wavered from it. He's pushed it forward. He's got buy-in from you know, really high-level business executives. And there's just a lot of things here that I think is going to change the sport forever. And I think from day one, he wanted this to be a legacy from his leadership position in the organization. And I think he's going to get it. Uh, first, I, I, I want to kind of double back on this. Um, I have a lot of people and a lot of fans say, I'm really confused by this team thing. We have, we have emphasized so much teams and draft and this guy, when it comes down to it, the format to follow at an actual team's event really is easy. This team bucks five guys, this team bucks five guys, team with the highest cumulative score wins, correct? Overall. Correct. Yeah, overall. And I, I don't think you can judge it until you see it. I mean, I, I really don't. I don't think you can judge it until you see it. You have seen it. You've seen it at Global Cup. Um, but this is the first time that you've seen the top, you know, what we believe to be the top 40 athletes in the world um, compete at it. And this is not new. You know, you go back and speak to some of the older guys out there. You know, the Winston team series was the same way, you know, back in the early 80s. Um, they just didn't have – the, they just didn't have the fundamentals and they just didn't have the backing. And I don't think they had the financial structure. And I don't think the sport was as organized as it is now uh, to continue the, the Winston series. I don't think it was a failure. I think it just fell apart. I think the team concept is still very valid and, and legitimate. I've talked to some super high level business guys that are like, look, I love this. This is the first time that we're going to be able to see, you know, companies really get involved from like a NASCAR standpoint, right? Where they're kind of involved in this whole team structure. And so I just think there's a lot of elements, but the fundamental element that I want to tell the fans and people that are watching is this is going to be the greatest thing for the lives of the athletes. It's going to change their life somewhat monetarily. But that's not where the big change is coming. The big change is coming in their structure, how they get better, the care they get. And, and bigger than that, and the most important thing to me is what their post-athletic career looks like. This will change that forever as well, and that's huge to me. Nothing else matters more than that. You bring something up that we have talked about that I don't, and you don't have to give necessarily, if you can give specifics, wonderful. If you can't yet, that's fine. We've talked about it in our locker room. We've talked about it in this studio right here. 
how is the salary structure structured? How um, everybody gets a salary, you split winning. That is a question I get a lot and I don't know any one bit about the answer to it. Can you shed a little light on it? How, how that works? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's really secret. So, so what the league did is each team committed X amount of dollars, and they were a lot of dollars. I want to say they were like six, five or six hundred thousand. I got to look at the budget, but each team allocated that much money to a prize pool. Okay, that the guys will then go compete for. So do that times eight. What six hundred thousand times eight? Maybe it's five hundred thousand. I can't remember. But that would be do four. That times I eight think that would be four million. I think that's four million. There you go. Right. So there's a prize pool there. And then they're also allocated the numbers really close to being the same. I think again in guaranteed money, right? That each team comes up with and each team is guaranteed based on a guy's pick in the draft, his draft position, what his minimum guaranteed base is. Let's just make it easy without all the semantics and call it every time you show up in an event, you're guaranteed twenty five hundred dollars. Okay. Um, there is a little bit of extra stipend money there uh, for additional expenses over the weekend. So let's throw a thousand dollars on top of that. Every guy, every weekend is going to be guaranteed, you know, three thousand dollars per weekend appearance. Okay, and then there's that price pool. Now we've got that four million dollars sitting out here that they're competing for, and then we also are creating. A, a bonus structure, specifically our team, our team has a tiered level bonus structure. If you finish here, you make this much more. If you finish here, you make this much more. And we ran it through three places, so podium finish, right? Um, you know, so by the, time, by the time they're done, I mean, you know, they have a chance to win on the weekend. They have a chance to win an absolute monster amount of money. Um, you know, at the finals, and then they're they're guaranteed in a tier bonus structure. So, you know, they they get to go to eleven events. And if you go back and look at this is Sean's big thing, and he's so right. You go back and look at the guys outside of the top ten. Some of these guys are living on sixty thousand dollars a year. If they're on a team, they're 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 going to blow past that. You know, so. Yeah. They're, they're gonna they're gonna blow past the the money that they've been making in in finishing outside of the top ten, but because you're like they're twelfth in the world, you think oh they had a pretty good year. They're living on peanuts, right? Yeah. You, see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I completely. I, I I've always said, yeah, got all those PBR guys make a, a pile of money. If you're in the top ten, I mean, you look at it. We don't talk much about money in PBR. Yeah. No, and, and the PBR has done a really good job of, of, of creating money for these guys, an opportunity that never – I'm like, I had an hour-and-a-half-long conversation with Cody Lambert, not this Saturday, but last Saturday, and, and you know, for enough that he and I disagree on at times too. But <clears throat> let me tell you where his heart is. When – he talked about my house in Park City. I'm kind of even embarrassed about it. But whenever he found out what I was putting my house on the market for, when he found out, you know – how my kids are doing and 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 what that structure is all about you know he was like man he's like that those are the proudest moments for me he's like because we changed people's lives and careers and in the whole nine yards and 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 he knows i'm i'm full i mean the pbr made me who i am there's just i mean the the passion and desire to start my own business the passion and desire to you know, invest in my family and, you know, to have a nice house and, and all this. And the PBR gave me all of that. And I, and I think at the fundamental level, that's really what they're trying to do for the athletes. Are they going to make money at it? Absolutely. They're going to make money at it. That's how businesses work, right? Like, you know, because there's yeah. fans out there, they're going to jump out, but they're just making all this money and they're just trying to change the sport so they can get rich and blah, 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 blah. No shit. That's how businesses work. Yeah. So, I am I mean, a, I am a, I am a, I'm a for-profit organization, Brandon. I am a, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so. so, but, but there's no way Jose Vitor Lemmy is making the same as Connor Halverson. And I love Connor Halverson. I just picked a name. No, I mean, shouldn't. I mean, no way. I, I'm a big Connor Halverson. Fan too. I, I I wanted to take him. They just picked him before I could get. You know, by the time he got down there. Um. 
No, should he? I mean, but you know, we don't know how much, you know, these NIL agreements, right? That's really what they are. They're kind of the same thing you're seeing in the NCAA. So I'm sure we'll have, you know, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher chime in here in a minute. So, <laughs> these NIL are basically additional marketing dollars to use the image and marketing rights of your, of your guys and, and lock them up into longer term deals. Um, What's the unknown nobody wants to talk about? What's the unknown and nobody wants to talk about is I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here a little bit. If the athletes see the value of free agency like other athletes and they say, hey, don't pay me anything extra. I'm going to ride for the league minimum this year and then I'm going into free agency. If they all do that, this thing in year two is going to get really, really interesting and, and expensive. So we'll see. <laughs> okay, a couple questions for you. Uh, I make, and you have done the same. I make a living, and people make a living producing these events. Make a living at small events during the summer. The big skies in Livingston's and Deadwoods and Kalispell Great Falls. Will the commitment to teams by these good riders affect the events that these guys are putting on in the summer that really are good for the PBR? They're like small rodeos in the PRCA. It's the foundation it was built on it. It brings in fans. What are we going to do in Big Sky? Are those guys, do you as a general manager, allow them to go? What's going to happen here? Uh, number one, I'm not going to tell my guys to not, to not go anywhere. I am absolutely, as a general manager, going to allow them to go because I, I, I feel like Big Sky... Bismarck, you know, a couple of those other events, like that's what they really use to tune up and get ready for the second half. So I don't want to take that away from them. If they decide they don't want to go, I'm not going to force them to go. But what I do think is I've got five guys in my practice squad right now that are studs. You just haven't heard of them. Um, and, and they never had the coaching and the structure. I think when I take those five guys and I put them into Big Sky, you're going to see a different level of athlete there. And just because it's not a big-name guy that, you know, it's not a Jess Lockwood or it's not a, you know, whatever, you're still going to see. Because what do you care about? Do you care about a big name that hits the ground at six seconds? Or do you care about a guy that's fighting for a spot on a team? And he knows that I'm watching him like a hawk. And if he shows me something at Big Sky – He's probably going to move into that roster position. Good point. Good point. Well, because you know at Big Sky, all those people from Yellowstone Club and the New Jersey people vacationing, they just they just froth at the mouth to get those PBR big names. Not at all. Oh, yeah, they do. They, they, they know them. They know them. Oh, man. So. Yeah. It's dance for us. Dance for us, clown. Yes, exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. You touched on something, and now I forgot which direction. um, Oh, I know. This is what, uh, I won't keep you a whole lot longer, but there are people going, Zeke Mitchell's been on tour for however many years. He didn't get drafted. Who's this Briggs Madsen kid that he drafted? Oh, my God, Colton Fritzlin in the first round? How'd that happen? I think... People's minds are so focused on what those guys do on the regular tour. This is a whole different expectation. Different guys will thrive in this situation. First of all, the coach can assign them out of the five bulls sitting there. This is different, and you picked guys that you think will excel in this structure, correct? Yeah, absolutely, I did. Um, that was a that was a big part of my look. I got every guy I wanted in the draft except for one, and that was Colton Frisland. Uh And he was just he was you know he was just so much talent that he was he was more you know he and good for them. Other teams realized what kind of talent he was. They took him off the board early. Um, you know, my my one two punch was going to be it was really interesting. My one two punch was going to be Colton Frisland and Derek Kovaba. Um the stats by far should have told me that it was going to be Colton Fritzland and Eli Bassbinder. I could not risk when it comes to drafts in teams and, and this goes to the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, 
When you have a guy that you believe is going to build your team chemistry and be the leader in the locker room, you go get him. You don't wait. Don't gamble on him being available in the third round or the fourth round because he's that kind of talent. You have to believe in him enough to go get him. That was Derek Obaba. He was an immovable object for me. So I was dead set on him all the way. My my superstar talent was flip-flopping between Fritzland and Bassbinder. Um, I needed a strong right-handed guy. Both of those are. So <clears throat> when Brisbane was gone, it was it was it was no-brainer, done deal. I was taking Bassfinder, backing him up with Kobaba. Um, I got really lucky and had to trade up to get him. Um, if you want to know the behind-the-scenes stuff, Carolina made a mistake. I, I went over and asked Carolina. I asked uh, Austin Dillon. I said, "Who do you want at 23?" And he said, well, I've got to have a strong left-handed Brazilian. A right-handed Brazilian, I can't remember. Strong right Brazilian. <clears throat> and I said, oh, perfect. Then you don't want my guy draft away. And he said, well, who do you want? I said, well, I'm going to pick up Outlaw at 24 if you need a right-hander. He said, oh, no. He said, I don't think Outlaw is going to be there. I'm taking him. And I was like, oh, my gosh, i got to move up. So I ran over to Arizona and, and traded them my 24 and 25 pick because I knew who they wanted. And I moved to 22-26, and that let me move one spot above Carolina because they made the mistake and slipped up and told me how bad they wanted Outlaw, and I just I wanted Outlaw in the locker room. You played the game, man. You're, you're like, yeah. you're Kevin Costner on draft day. You're Kevin yeah. Costner. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I, made the, uh, I made the pick. Chad Berger texted me, Ch text me while I was on the clock in between 8 and 9 and said, Take Chase Outlaw right now at all costs. And I don't think he was wrong. It just worked out in my favor that I was able to get Bassfinder, Kobaba, and Outlaw. And I was set. Because don't forget, I got Jess Lockwood as the number one overall pick in the supplemental. So now think about my team. I've got Bassfinder, Outlaw, Kobaba, and Lockwood as four. Four locks. I don't, I don't get Lockwood until event number five. So I've got to set him on the bench for four events because he's a supplemental guy. I can't use him before that. But yeah, <laughs> man, see it. You see, you're selling me, man. Hey, well, uh, you talk about the guys you have on your team real quick. Through our world in the PBR of world champions that we talk about, a rarely mentioned individual because he was soft-spoken, he is a one-time world champion. He re he retired early in his career. Is Cody Lostro? You are, uh, Cody Lostro has taken some things and helped young guys. You are sold on the fact Cody Lostro is going to change the culture of bull riding, and you're the guy that has him. Why is that? A absolutely. I mean, because I don't, most people don't know this, but he's the first guy that hired a sports psychologist, and that's what won him his world title in 09. Um, he had hired, he went out on his own, hired a sports psychologist, um, and that's what took him to another level. And he was able to see the power of it. Cody has a coaching process where he, have you heard about the 30 minute plank story? No. They're in the, they're in the Western sports foundation deal. So, so Cody's, you know, been involved in the Western sports foundation with a lot of these young talented guys and, you know, coming up through that, that process. And so one of the first exercises that Lostro did is he put all the guys and he said, hey, look, we're going to do a five-minute plank. So he puts them in a plank position. If your knees touch, you fail. You can go from hands to elbows, but you can't go to knees. They get to like four minutes and 55 seconds, and Lostro says, perfect, we're going for a full 30 minutes. And he's like, you could just hear the air let out of the room. Because at four and a half minutes, the guys are just, you know, they're struggling, they're shaking. I mean, you think about a four-and-a-half, five-minute plank, like it's brutal. And... He so there's I mean, I don't know, there's like 30 guys in the room and he takes them into a 30 minute plank position and they they start knocking down small goals one at a time. Now we're going to go one minute. Now we're going to go 30 seconds. Now we're going to go two minutes. And he starts breaking it down in these small goal achievements. And only one guy, one guy out of the whole deal failed it. 30 minutes. No kid. So yeah. he's here. It's all here. It's all here. And I, and that's been my thing forever in, in this sport is, 
you know, here's where philosophically I don't agree with some of the old school. I'm not going to name any names. You're smart enough to figure it out. The if I do, I'm going to say it out loud. <laughs> don't say it out loud. Is that because those guys have they've earned a ton of respect and they're not wrong. They're just different. But the why'd you check out? Why'd you do this? Why'd you make that decision? It's because you're weak. That's not going to work here. That's just not. They're 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 not going to respond to that. They're not. These guys aren't in a position like they were in 1980, where if they buck off, they don't eat, or they're three months behind on rent. There was a different motivating factor for those guys then. But now, the mental side of it and getting them to understand and break down small goals, and those small goals for a guy may turn into a, you know, it may turn into 16 half-second moments, right? Let me get through the first five. Let me get through the first half a second. Let me get through the second half a second. Like, and once you break that down mentally that way, the game's different. I told Derek Obaba because I talked to him a lot because I wanted to know that his wife's pregnant and. I just wanted to know that he still wanted to go. I mean, he lives a pretty he good did. life. He's a, he, he didn't know his wife was pregnant? Oh, no. You just no, said I wanted him to know his wife's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wanted to talk to Kobaba because I wanted to know that, you know, that he still cared about it and he was that he still wanted, you know, to be to, to win and he wasn't just going through the motions because he's got a good sponsor contract and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I told I told Kobaba, I said, you're the best six-second bull rider that I've ever seen. You just haven't figured out that the first two seconds are just as important as the last two and that you can break through. How many moments have you and I been in the arena with Kobaba? Hands in the air. Oh, my gosh, it's there. And he blows out the back door six and a half seconds. At seven, okay. seven, three, seven, six. Seven, three. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's going to change. That 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 is absolutely going to change, um, you know. And I, I'm just so confident in our team. And I told our team, I'm like, we're not going to ride 80 percent of our bulls. Four out of five aren't going to win us a lot of games. We're going to ride a hundred percent of our bulls. And that's what I believe in my team because I I truly I truly believe it's doable. And you know, I, I kind of got kind of got a, a little emotional the other night when they were asking me about the Briggs Madsen kid because. I know, based on my experience in the space, that when I picked him, I changed his life. I, I, I fundamentally believe that I know that that moment where I took him, whether I take him in the first round or whether I take him in the fourth round, I knew that I changed his life. He may not realize it yet. He may not know it yet. But I know that that this is going to change his life. And that, that kid was a great story. That hell, I didn't even. That's how it shows you how stupid I am. I didn't even know. You know, until you and I were talking yesterday, I was walking through the airport. You were like, well, you know that kid wasn't supposed to ever walk again. And I'm like, oh, my God, maybe I should have paid attention to that. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, listen, um, I wanted insight into it because now that's where PBR fans, that's where their mind, they're going down that fork in the road to try and figure this out. Structure is easy. Format is easy. The the events are fun to follow, but you know uh, the draft looked great, and so it's time to get excited about that. I don't know what role I'm going to play in the live show. Honestly, that's still being hashed out. But uh, I appreciate the insight, buddy. Always, and I knew you'd bring it to us. And uh, I want one of those freedom hats, mostly just because it says freedom. I like it. So. Yeah, that's 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 the funny thing. And just so the fans get cleared up, because the rumors are going to float really fast about about my selection in the draft. I I wanted to build. I wanted to build chemistry. And had I been the number one or number two pick, had I been able to build off of, of Leme or Pacheco? your freedom team would have been fully represented by Brazilians because I would have built an entire team of Brazilians around that fundamental anchor. I, you know, I, I, I love those guys at Austin. I love the guys in Nashville and Tina Baddock, their G GM over there. I personally believe that's where they may have slipped up is that they didn't, they didn't stay in that chemistry. They, they had a different philosophy and a different path and that's okay. And, 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 you know, I, I told McBride after I told McBride after I, it was over and he said, hey, good job. I said, yeah, I said, look, I said, I, I took some shots 
And if I'm right, I'll look like a hero. And if I'm wrong, I'll look like a dumbass. And I'm prepared for both Which, scenarios. Yeah, you're, you've been both at the same time. Yeah, you, you all know, the time. In my I mean, life, in my life yeah. there's days I've called you that, each of those, on the same day. Like, man, Bass every, is a dumbass, but he's my hero. <laughs> yeah, every, every day. But, no, I, I built a team of all Americans. I, I built a team of, of red-blooded Americans. with real funny quick story for you. At the very end of the draft, Outlaw <laughs> sat across from me at my table. And <laughs> Outlaw sitting across from my table. There's still some really good Brazilian guys on the board, even when we got down to our last pick and pick 40 at the and I said, what do we need, guys, here? And, and, and he thought that I said, let's go grab a Brazilian. He, and what I was saying is I said, I've, I've worked this far to, to pick the Americans that I want, and I'm going to stay with the American theme for the chemistry in the locker room. And he said he was thinking that I was getting ready to tack on a Brazilian athlete at the, at the bottom. And he looks at me and he says, gosh, damn, he said, what's your team name? <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, I'm good. We're good. Like I'm saying, I'm staying with the team. It was, he was already feeling it, right? Like he was already like in this global cup mindset of like, we're red blooded Americans. And, and, and you appreciate this movie as much as I do, but like, and I said this for three or four months now with my team and, and Cord and Cody and, and those guys and Chris Dashney, who, if anybody ever thinks that I have any, like, like, let me, Chris Dashney is the guy that, like, whatever, like, he, he runs it all. Like, he, right. somebody asked me, the, they said, what's Dashney's job? Said, His job is to keep me from looking stupid, and he's phenomenal at it. He does it every <laughs> Um, But, yeah, I wanted a Rocky Four mentality. I did. I, I wanted, I wanted, that was the theme for us all along, is I wanted this, it's us against the world. I wanted... I believe in the American spirit from you know, take me back to World War II. I wanted guys willing to face bullets and jump out of the boat knowing there was a better than average chance they weren't coming back. And, and I believe that American spirit exists. And that's why I built the team fundamentally around the Americans that I did. Um, and once again, I'm happy to be wrong. But I mean, I've, at the agency, I've represented Brazilians forever. I'm probably the, in fact, I'm the only agent that had represented, you know, a, a lot of Brazilians until there was a Brazilian agent. Um, so, you know, as, I'm not a racist. I love those guys. They're incredibly talented. I love their backstory. I love their families. You know, and that's the other thing. People, my wife and I had a long conversation. She's like, why didn't you take Savannah? And truthfully, if everybody wants to know, it's the same reason that from the agency standpoint, we, do, we no longer represent Silvano is because I believe at his age and the respect that he, they, they disagree with this, but I believe at his age with his family and his kids, I, I do not love him competing anymore. I'm fundamentally against him. He's got, you know, a couple of million dollars in the bank, maybe more than that. He's got a ranch. He's got an incredible family. His passion is riding bulls. That's a personal decision he has to make. But I don't want to contribute to it anymore because I know how devastatingly dangerous this sport is. And I just love his family so much that I don't, I don't want that responsibility if something drastic were to ever happen. I couldn't live with myself. That's interesting. Because I, I really like Silvano too, and I, I sometimes watching him ride feel the same way. Because I love his kids and his wife, and yeah, that's, that's yeah. Nobody talks about that. People don't talk about that. So the hardest thing, the hardest thing for me to leave him back there undrafted was was really really painful for me. And he probably thinks in his heart it's because I don't believe in him, and that's not the case. It's just the opposite for me. It's because I, if if I could force him into retirement because of my love for his family, that's what I would do. Good stuff, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for the update. Always. Brandon Bates. And that is why I like to have Brandon Bates on this. Any of my shows, actually. Shed a lot of light. Didn't get to some of the world finals things. But the one thing I, I've learned about Brandon Bates is if he goes longer than planned or I expected, 
I let him go. He's a very, he's a deep thinker. He's insightful. He was, he was great for us. That's what made him a great announcer in the PBR. One of the best pure talent announcers through my rodeo career I've ever seen. It gets me hopefully informative for the team concept and what they went through and what to expect from the guys and the difference in what they're going to do in a team concept rather than riding for themselves. But I think the big thing is come next year when we start the regular season to ground a world champion again, I think that product is going to improve because of the team's product. So thank you to my friend, Brandon Bates. And thank you uh, from all of us in production uh in the office, sponsorship, PR, marketing, all of the people at PBR. Thank you to all the fans who made the trip to Fort Worth, Texas and really experienced everything we tried to accomplish there and experienced this, the excitement of once again crowning a world champion and changing the life of a young man, a 22-year-old. Uh, from, well, first of all, I'll say... Change the life of a guy named Cody Jesus from the Navajo Reservation who won about $190,000 in that couple weekends at World Finals. Proud of Cody Jesus, but Dalen Swearingen, who in two weekends at the PBR World Finals walked away just from the finals with $1.39 million. And then add on top of that, his regular season earnings. A life-changing couple weeks for a really nice kid who is also very good for business. So thanks for joining me here on According to Flint. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, everybody.